was born in North Dakota, but I'm really a Northern California guy. Grew up there and parents and grew up in a, in a church situation. My parents loved God. And uh, I accepted the Lord when I was four years old. I can remember the day that my mother asked me if I wanted to know Jesus. And I remember saying yes. And I remember looking at her when she prayed. So my, what I learned out of that is never despise young beginnings. Because if a four-year-old can be converted, then we need to have higher expectations of what we share with our children. Uh, I actually have a five-year-old girl. I'm 61 years old. I was single till I was 48. I'm a college football coach by trade. I coached 25 years, and I've consulted college football programs for 20 years. It's what I continue to do as part of my heart for sports ministry. That's how Gordon and I got connected. We both had a heart for sports ministry. But uh, single till I was 48, I was introduced to a young widow. Her husband was a church planner, and he died of cancer at 33. And she had two boys, and my college roommate at the, uh, from my football playing days had said, hey, there's a gal. Her husband died a couple years ago. She's got two boys. You ever interested about getting married? Well, I'd been, I'd been engaged a couple times in those 48 years, and, it, and uh, both times it hadn't worked out. So my response to that question is if I was interested in this gal at 48, who's a you know, 13 years younger than I was, was, you know, I think about marriage every day and not at all. And if you think about that, that would make sense that at some level, um, I don't think I was gifted for singleness, but I was single and I was old. Uh, and yet it hadn't worked out to that point under God's uh, time plan. Uh, I ended up meeting her. We dated for a year. Those boys are now my boys. Uh, one is a college football player in Oklahoma City. The other was a college football player, and he's now coaching college football. And then my wife and I together had a little baby girl by surprise. So she's my little Twinkie. She started kindergarten, and she's there today, I'm sure. So I uh, coached college football until I got married, and at that point needed to head a different direction. And uh, I'm now the director of discipleship and a professor at a seminary university in Tacoma, Washington. And they allow me to do the things that are my heartbeats there, which is is to live out and speak about discipleship and also do sports ministry. We have a school of sports ministry also, using the principles that Gordon believes in and works with Ron Brown off the University of Nebraska staff. So that's how we got connected. That's a little bit of my background. Give the students a little bit of a perspective on the competing biblically. Like yeah. when did it occur to you that there's a different way? Different way to play. Because a lot of these are athletes. Yeah. Those who are not athletes, they're still students in yeah. the classroom. A lot yeah. of those things apply to their lives. Yeah, they sure do. We love sports because sports is the best educator I've ever found to teach somebody how to walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce, and multiply. That's one of our mantras. That's one of the things we talk about with what's our target in sports. Our target is to glorify God. That's our target. Our target is not to win. Our target is to glorify God. And just like a bunch of characters in the Bible whose target was to glorify God, some of them went, won on this planet, some of them lost. There's a lot of folks that lost their heads, literally. There's folks that are losing their life right now today in Yemen, Syria, Indonesia. People just like you, kids just like you, that are losing their dads and moms and sisters and brothers and children today because of the name of Jesus. It's not just uh, like it is in America, the rest of the world. We need to keep that in mind. And so I grew up with the normal attitude towards sports. I was a football, basketball, baseball player, like some of you play multiple sports. And my goal was to have a good time, fair. Um, even as I was a Jesus confessor at your age, 
My goal was to have a good time. My goal was to play. My goal was to be a star. My goal was about me. Bad plan, but that was my goal. I ended up running into some materials. Gordon knows about them because his sporting life was changed also, correct? When he ran into some materials, a particular book called The Handbook on Athletic Perfection, where I, for the first time as a high school kid, I was 15 or 16, I saw that my faith in Jesus and sport integrated. Sport wasn't something I do. Sport was a vehicle of worship, and it completely flipped me. It flipped me from playing for myself by my power to playing for Jesus by his power. We talk about it now, uh, the two by four, playing according to the word of God, by the power of God, for the glory of God, is what I learned by myself. And then I went to a college where the head coach had that same vision, which I found to be incredibly rare. We've been talking about that. Where that was his target as a coach to raise up a culture of men and women who played by the power of God, for the glory of God, according to the word of God. And they played at a high level. That, that coach is the ninth winningest coach in the history of college football. 309 wins. He's won four national championships, played in eight title games. He created a culture where you could play by God's power for his glory according to his word at this highest level in their sphere of competition, which was very fascinating. I'd never seen or heard of that before as a kid. And then I experienced it through a book. And then I went to a school where the head football coach was playing. And now our mission is to communicate that kind of play, that kind of attitude towards sport around the world, literally. Let's uh, switch gears, talk a little bit about discipleship. When did discipleship become real to you? When did you feel like you began to understand what the Bible meant by discipleship? Maybe what were some verses you were drawn to? Or how did this process kind of unpack it? Yep. Discipleship's a a fancy word that's thrown around, around a lot. And frankly, there are as many different definitions of discipleship I've found as there are people. A disciple means learner or follower. The 12 disciples were the learners and followers of Jesus. Kind of also means in the original language, it means apprentice. So they weren't just passively learning. They were practicing what they were learning, right? Jesus with the 12, he walked with them. When we talk about discipleship or learning how to follow Jesus, it's a simple principle. It's a tool of normal learning, which is Jesus walked with the Father, The 12 disciples watched him walk with the Father. Jesus watched them walk with the Father, and then he died and told them to walk with the Father. The Holy Spirit was the power source. Discipleship is as simple as this. I do it, I do it, you watch. You do it, I watch, you do it. It's the way we learn everything. My my child, my little girl, the way she learned to eat is I ate. She watched me eat. She tried to eat herself. This is a spoon. The more she watched, the more she practiced, the more I was with her, the more she got it in her mouth. I ate, she watched me eat, I watched her eat, she eats. Everything is learned. I coach, you watch me coach, I watch you coach, supervise, you coach. Same way you follow Jesus. You find somebody who walks with Jesus. You watch them walk with Jesus. They watch you walk with Jesus and help you on your way. You walk with Jesus. So discipleship is not a fancy word. It simply means to learn and practice following Jesus in this case. Discipleship, we're talking about Jesus. Um, I never heard any of this stuff. I might have heard it, but it never entered my brain. 
I knew when I got older and got into coaching and when I got together with players and they said, could you help us walk with God? I knew that we probably should pray a little bit. We should probably talk a little bit about life and struggles and we probably should read the Bible a little bit. I call that now the little bit plan. We prayed a little bit, walked a little bit with God and talked a little bit, read the Bible. Does that make sense? Uh, What we find now is there's much more that can happen besides a little bit plan when you walk with God. When I was 37 years old, so a little bit older than y'all. Now remember, I accepted the Lord when I was four, and as best I could, I walked with God all the way till I was in my early 20s. And in my early 20s, I played in a football program where the Holy Spirit transformed my life because of the culture that was created. So from 22-ish, 23 till 61, I've, I've tried to walk with God as best I could, giving it my best shot now for 56 years. But until I was 37, I never heard of this stuff that I'm talking about today. Even though I was in a Jesus community my whole life, I never learned that somebody could come alongside you in a discipleship slash mentoring relationship and walk with you. And you could walk with them so you could get where you want to go faster with less headaches, be the way I'd say it. Here, I was thinking about back there how I could articulate it simple to Nebraska kids and, and thinking about sport. And I'm thinking, okay, so if I wanted to be a coach, if I wanted to be a great, great coach, I could read books about coaching. Would that help? Would it help for me to read books about coaching in different styles? Yeah, it'd help. It'd be great. I could... I could talk to a coach. We could sit down and talk about it. I could, I could learn about coaching. Is that fair? I could watch them coach. That'd be a little better now. Now I'd see it with my eyes, not just hear about it and try to conceive it and, 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 and try to grasp it intellectually. I could actually see them coach. Better yet, I could practice coaching and a master coach could coach me as I coach. Would I have a better chance reading books and watching games? Or would I have a better chance if Scott Frost came to me and said, why don't you come with me, hang around me, watch me coach, and then I'll watch you coach, and together we'll do this. Who has the best chance of being an effective coach? The one who walked with an effective coach who walked with him. That's discipleship. Discipleship is a human being who knows the master and has walked with them longer than me, who walks with me, and I get to watch them walk, and they watch me walk, and together we walk faster and farther than I ever would on my own. And I never understood that stuff till I was 37 and got put in a spot where four college kids approached me and said, would you walk with us? And I thought, yeah, I, I, I should, and I'm supposed to do that. I think that's something I'm supposed to do. I'm a coach, and they're players, and they want to. And, and that was the beginning of the process. And then I ran into a guy uh, who is the, uh, the most respected guy in the world in our generation of looking what Jesus did with the 12 and articulating what was Jesus doing with the 12 And what was his plan to reach what's now 7.6 billion people? What was Jesus' plan to reach 7.6 billion people? Do you know what his plan was? No technology. We've got no money out there. He didn't have a fundraising department. He didn't have big donors. He, He didn't have technology, so he didn't have TV and radio and podcasts. He's going to reach 12 or 8 billion people with no 
traditional tools that we'd say are mandatory to, to communicate a message. Is that right? You know what he did? I think I'm going to take 12 unschooled, ordinary men. It's the Bible, verse Acts 4, 13. I'm going to take a fisherman, tax collector, gas station attendant, custodian. I'm going to reach the world with my story with 12 normal guys. Now, most people would have looked at that and said, and ain't ever going to fly, man. What they didn't realize is the power of the universe was inside this guy's body. And he put it inside these normal people like you and I's body. And he said, watch me walk with the Father. I'll watch you walk with the Father. We'll walk together with the Father. I'm going to leave this planet. I'm going to put a nuclear power source inside you. That's the Holy Spirit. And you go, do and, you go and do what you saw me do. That's discipleship. You go and do what you saw me do. And now that he's not on the planet anymore, he goes to human beings and he says, you walk with somebody and teach them how to walk with somebody so when you're not there, they keep walking and teach them how to walk with somebody who they then teach how to walk with somebody and in a generation or two or 2,000 years, 7.6 billion people without resources, without giant rallies, without technology, we're going to reach the world. We'll use that stuff if it ever is developed. Ta-da! But we don't need that. We just need human beings with the power of the universe inside their body. Do you know them that way? That's the question. When I talk to my target, is always, I'm, I'm a college football coach, so guys from the 18 to 23 years was, for the majority of my adult life, my target. Well, you're similar age group to that target. And whether I'm talking to that target or whether I'm talking to adults, it's the same story. So when we try to communicate, because we're always trying to communicate simply, what, a, what the process is of somebody who's walking with God, if that's your desire at all. Um, we call it the four knuckles just because I use it as a visual. I got four knuckles right there, so I'm going to call it the four knuckles because it's a little metaphor and it lets you to understand. What are the stages of somebody who wants to? You may not want to. This is what you've got to figure out. Do I want to walk with God? Do I want to walk with God for a lifetime? Not everybody wants to walk with God. And not everybody who walks with God walks with them for a lifetime. Do I want to finish strong? A lot of people came to the faith and walked for a window of time and they didn't finish the race. There's Bible verses about that. Or they didn't finish strong. We call that go out to pastor or retire. They no longer walked with God in an ongoing way because they got older and yada, yada, yada. Walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong. Reproduce. Now we're into a separate category. People that realize they're on this planet to make other Jesus followers who will make other Jesus followers, make disciples. If the great commandment is love God, love people, the second commandment is make disciples. That's, that's the job he gave us. He left the planet. He said, love me, love people, and make disciples. That's the job. The job of a Jesus follower. Did you know that? Did you know your job, your one mission, your one mission, the reason you're on this planet, according to God, is to love him, and make disciples. Did you know that? Do you want to do it? Are you going to obey him or are you going to disobey him? Because it's not two categories. It wasn't like an optional. He didn't say, if you want to, folks, while you're following me in your nice little Christian life, have a good time. But if you want to, help other people know him, evangelism, and follow him, discipleship.
He wasn't offering it as an option. He said, this is the minimum expectation of somebody who confesses his name. Did you know that? What are you going to do about that? Be wise to figure that out. If, you're, if, if the creator of the universe, who's your father, you say that, gave you a job, it'd be nice to know what the job was, and it'd be nice to want to do it well. Fair? Reproduce and multiply. That's the fifth one. Walk with God for a lifetime. Repro- uh, uh, finish strong. Reproduce and multiply. Multiply means I not only walk with, what's your name? I not only walk with John for a window of time so that he can know Jesus more and walk with him, I teach John how to walk with somebody else, Kurt. So the first year I walk with John. The second year I walk with Kurt and John walks with Steve and Kurt walks with Bobby. The third year I walk with somebody else. He walks with somebody else. The guy who worked with last year walks with somebody else. He walks with somebody else. The guy he worked with last year walks if I had one dollar, if I had one dollar, and I doubled it, in day two, I'd have two dollars. Fair. In day three, if I double it, I'd have four dollars. Is that right? Two to four. Fair. If day four, I doubled it, I'd have eight dollars. Is that right? Do you know how many dollars you'd have in 30 years? Just, just without thinking about it, if I went from one to two, and two to four, and four to eight, in 30 years... How many dollars would I have? Just raise your hand. Somebody with courage, raise your hand and say, how many dollars do you think I'd have if I did that 30 times? If I doubled it 30 times? Come on, somebody, somebody, have some courage. Have some courage. Throw out a number. What do you think, sir? A couple of million? Dag nabbit. You got a chance, man. You were in the ballpark. Do you know that if you took a job and you worked for a dollar the first day and he said, I'll tell you what, worked a hard, it's a hard job. You worked the second day, two bucks. You worked the third day, I'll give you eight bucks. Eight bucks, you'd feel like, that's not fair, right? Do you know at the end of a month, you'd make, you'd make a billion dollars? If you take the number one and you double it, 30 times it's a billion. Which means that if I walked with one guy this year in a way that, that taught him how to know Jesus more and teach somebody how to know Jesus, and if the second year I did it again with one person, just one, and my guy learned how to do it with somebody else and repeated that. And if he taught somebody who repeated that, in 33 years, 8 billion people would be touched. How many people on this planet did I just say? 7.6 billion? Sounds like within your generation, if you'd simply do your job and walk with God and make a disciple a year, you can make more than that for the record, and you made one disciple a year, and you did that as long as you lived, because most of you are going to live if the planet stays the same, which odds are it's not. But if it did by chance, continue. And if you got to be 50 to 60 years old, the world would reach, be reached through Jesus by a relationship that reproduced and multiplied. That's the teaching that I ran across when I was in my late 30s it changed my life. It changed my life. It made me realize that I can be part of this story and reach the world. That's pretty cool. If you love God. And if you want to be obedient. If you don't love God, then it doesn't matter to you. And if you don't want to be obedient, it's not going to matter to you. But if you want to walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce, and multiply you may want to consider this because you're going to go to the master and he's going to ask 
How did your story go this life? And can you show me the results of it? Be fruitful and multiply is what he said. What are you going to share with them? What are you going to say to the guy who died? He died. The father watched his son get tortured for three days. He had to watch his son get tortured for three days so that I could live forever. And he asked me to do one thing in exchange for getting his kid killed. He killed his kid so that I could live with him forever. And he said, just one thing. Can you please follow me and make disciples? And I go to him and said, sorry, I got busy. I really wanted a cool job. I wanted to make enough to have another house and a cabin or a lake. And I wanted to have a family. I got busy. Sorry for having your son killed for me so I could live forever. And I didn't do what you asked me to do. That would be sad. That would be sad. And we're committed to communicate the scriptures to people like you so that you can feel the pleasure of the Holy Spirit by doing what he asked you to do, participating with him in reaching the world. That's pretty cool. I mean, one little, you okay? Can I do one little other yeah, metaphor story? Yeah, so this is, just, this is my personal story. You don't know me from Jack. And, and I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to have you hear something. To have you hear something that you might not forget that might change the course of your life and, frankly, your eternity. I coached a long time. 25 years is a long time. And sometimes I walked with some kids that for whatever reason in their story, I'm thinking about one guy right now from the inner city of Chicago who doesn't know his dad never lived with him. He knew he was in the sitter. He interacted with him occasionally. Never knew his dad. Never had a dad. He had a birth person, but no father. He lived with his mom. His dad is black. He, his mom's white. He's mixed race in the inner city of Chicago without a father, and he comes to play football in our program. Never heard about Jesus. Didn't care about Jesus. He's a gangbanging nice kid. Comes and plays in our community. The Spirit of God grabs him. He gives his life to Jesus. I become his father because I'm his coach and I'm the male in the first time in his life who cared about him like he was my own son because he is spiritually. I feel about the kids I coached the same way I feel about my own sons who are what's called stepsons, but they're stepsons according to Word's definition. They're really my sons. Do you understand? They're my boys. They're not my stepson, they're my boys. I may not have the genetic wiring in them, but they're my boys, and they're as much my boys as my girl, who does have my genetic wiring, do you understand? But when God grabs hold of your heart, and you understand your job is to reproduce other people who know him, they're born again, they become your spiritual offspring. This guy, my name is Scotty Kessler, this guy named his first boy Kessler. Two other players of mine have named their first boys Kessler. Do you understand what that feels like to me? Do you know what it feels like to have some guys that I never met before come into our little football sport community, give their life to Jesus, or at some point be touched enough 
in the relationship that they'd name their kid after me, a name that is not a common or normal name? If you put $100 million on this piano, and I had the option of one child being named after me because I cared about his daddy, and I could choose the $10 million right now versus that, I could care less about $10 million. It could be $100 million. A life that's changed forever and a family line that's probably going to know Jesus forever and be with the Father forever. See, that gets me up in the morning. You know what I'm saying? That gets me up in the morning. And investing in people so they'll reproduce and multiply has become my heart cry because it's His heart cry. And He said, follow me. You will find, I can make this promise because it's biblical. You will find that whatever you right now you think is going to make you happy, whatever you think right now would be the coolest life you could ever envision for yourself, unless you do what we just talked about, you won't get that. Because he made you to be fulfilled by obeying him. And his last command was make disciples. There's your option. Problem is, I never heard that until I was 37. And you get to hear it as a 14 or 16 or 18-year-old. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, what are you going to do about that, Scotty? It wasn't like a, a, a request. It was like a commandment. What are you going to do about that, Scotty? What does it look like for a 14-year-old kid? That's a good question. So what percentage does research show of Christians who are doing what you're talking about, I think it's not real high, yeah. but if it's not so high, how come it's not higher? <laughs> My opinion and experience, because I'm, I'm just one guy, but, but this matters to me, and it's mattered to me for almost 30 years, and I try to travel with people, the best people I know of in the country, and frankly in the world, who are thinking about this stuff this way, because I want to learn with and from folks that are thinking this way because the Holy Spirit revealed through the Word that this is what He wants. And, and my experience in America, I've, I've been a Jesus follower 56 years. I was on staff recently at a megachurch in Tacoma, so I was actually on a pastoral staff even though I'm not a pastor. I was on a staff to try to talk about this stuff in their megachurch community. And I find that this conversation is almost non-existent that very few people have ever had any human in their life who intentionally on purpose walked with them this way I, I, it didn't happen to me it didn't happen to most of the people I know it didn't happen to most of the people I've ever had a conversation with about Jesus people many of them lifelong they've never heard this conversation they never were discipled. They might have been mentored. What's the difference? A mentor is like an uncle or aunt who comes in and out in your life and they're available. Can you have too many good uncles and aunts? No. I mean, the more the merrier, man. I don't know if you have any and you probably have a favorite uncle or aunt. But a father and a mother is different than an uncle or an aunt. An uncle and an aunt are available. They're in your life. They may live near you. They may live in another place. A father and mother need to be with you for it to work. Does that make sense? People don't generally father long distance. 
They don't live in Seattle and their, and their children, when they're five years old, live in Denver unless the family's broken. Does that make sense? When the family's not broken, the parents usually live with their children. Is that fair? Fair point? It's, it's the way God created it to be for it to happen, the best chance that good things would happen out of that. Most people have never had a spiritual parent ever. They might have had blood parents. My parents were Jesus followers. But they didn't know this stuff, so we just grow up in the church together, they as my parents and I as a kid, and we grew up in a thing I call the orphanage. The local church to me is an orphanage where people come who never have been spiritually parented, but they come because a guy stands out front and he throws them food. Sometimes it's good food, sometimes it's not so good food, depending on how committed they are to the Word of God. And they eat a little bit of that food each Sunday. Some eat a little bit, some eat a lot. Some go other places to get more food because they don't get fed enough. That's called the orphanage of the local church. God wasn't expecting that the local church as an institution would raise you and I. He expected that individual humans who went to that local church would help people develop by spiritually overseeing them like a parent so that they could develop, so they could walk with God for a lifetime. Finish strong, reproduce and multiply. That, to answer his question, in my experience, is virtually non-existent. It's non-existent in the American church that people understand that their mission is to come along people who they will intentionally and strategically regularly meet with to walk them through the habits and spiritual disciplines that in our community are. See where you fit in the spectrum. Eyes up, please. Eyes up. I didn't come across country to talk to you while you look in your paper and talk to each other. See where you are on this spectrum. How are you in a prayer life? Do you have a functioning prayer life? These are minimum expectations of a Jesus follower. He didn't say when you're old. He said Jesus follower, so 14-year-old is in this category. How's your prayer life? Do you have one? Do you ever pray alone? Do you ever pray with other people in any real intentional way? Do you ever pray longer than a few minutes? Ever? Have you ever? And do you ever? Bible reading. Do you read the Bible regularly? Do you feed yourself on the Word of God every day or pretty close to that? At least a chapter or two a day or five minutes or so? Do you memorize Scripture at all? These are, Bible, these are commandments. Prayer, Bible reading, Bible memory. Do you know how to use a study Bible? Could you, could you answer your own questions or do you have to go to your teacher? Do you have to go to your pastor if you got a doctrinal question? Or do you know how to use a study Bible? Do you know how to use a study Bible to answer your questions and help your friends answer their questions? Do you know how to present the gospel? If I asked you to come up here right now and said, give a simple explanation of the gospel so that somebody could understand what being with Jesus would be like as a relationship, would you feel comfortable right now if we put a microphone? Could you? Could you, could you bring somebody in a relationship with Jesus if they said, I don't know him, how can I know him? Would you feel great that you would know how to answer that with that person? Do you feel comfortable sharing your testimony? Do you feel comfortable saying, before Jesus, this was me, but then I met Jesus either this day or this window of time, and now I'm different. You know why? Because it used to be I was dead, and now the God of the universe lives inside my body, you think if the God of the universe lived 
inside your body you'd be different? If I put a nuclear bomb inside your chest and I pulled the trigger, you think anything would happen? The guy who created nuclear power lives inside your body. Are you different? Have you lit the switch that blows up your life? You even know what I'm talking about. Those are the questions. Could you give us maybe one or two scriptures that you really like? Oops, I didn't finish discipleship? The, I didn't finish the four knuckles. Oh. But I will. Yep. He's going to ask about a scripture. Here's the scripture. Yeah, yep. So, so write this down for yeah. discussion. This is this year question to talk about. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. This is an example. So Paul, we've heard of Paul. You're here. I'm, I'm reckoning you know who Paul is, right? The Apostle Paul. So this is what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy was his spiritual son. He wasn't his birth son. He adopted him from the local orphanage. He came alongside Timothy, who was younger in the faith and younger in chronology. Paul adopted him as his spiritual son, just like we're the adopted sons of God. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, Timothy, the things we're talking about right now, John, I want you to tell other people who will tell other people. Here's the Bible verse. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you talk to other people about. Who will talk to other people about? In one verse, there's a biblical depiction of four generations. Paul the father, Timothy his son, Timothy's grandsons, excuse me, Paul's grandsons and Paul's great-grandsons. Did you hear that? Timothy, father, Timothy, son, what you've heard me talk about, you entrust to reliable men and women who are going to entrust it to reliable. He was saying this, Timothy, would you take care of my grandchildren and great-grandchildren for me, please? Would you take care of them for me, please? That's what he was saying. He gave a picture. When Jesus was with the 12, he said, follow me and make fishers of men and women, mankind. He was always talking about us giving our life away to somebody who will teach how to give their life away, who will teach how to give their life away. It was always part of the gospel message. It was part of the beginning. He said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. From the very beginning, even before Jesus was with the twelve and told them to go make disciples, he told us in the beginning to bear fruit, that's reproduce, and multiply. It wasn't an option. It was a commandment from Genesis 3 through the Gospels, through Paul and the epistles. We've always been instructed to bear fruit and multiply. And you frankly, in this nice little town in Nebraska, have this same commandment as Jesus in Galilee with the 12 disciples. And the same thing that he asked of them, he's asking of us. And you have to decide, am I going to obey or am I going to be a nice Christian like my experience most in America who love God but never obey Him? Never obey him. I left you with one job. Make disciples. That's all I'm asking. I died for you. 
I gave you everything you need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3, make disciples. The problem is most of us, you, me included, most of us have never seen that happen, don't know what it looks like. It's hard to reproduce what you've never seen. Does that make sense? It's hard to reproduce something you've never seen. And so our whole mission as people and in the school I work out is to articulate or communicate this mission and see who wants to obey and give them tools to do it. Is that fair? The four knuckles, super quick. First knuckle is I want to know God. Born again. You got to be born again, right? John 3, 3. You got to be born again. First knuckle. Some of you in this category right now, you're born again. I presume most of you, I'm thinking. Maybe all of you. Second knuckle is this is a different guy now. When I say guy, I mean person. This is a different person. He says, I want to know him bad. It's this guy. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. Please, Lord. I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. Lord, show yourself. I want to know you. Are you that guy or gal? Have you ever, with your mouth or with your heart, communicated that you really want to know Him? I want to know you. I want to follow you. You matter to me. I want to live for you. It's okay if you're not there. Just understand you're going to have to go there if you're going to want to have the fruit and the power, for the record. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you want some of that stuff that's the result of, of being connected to the vine then at some point you're going to have to want it. You just want to be a nice church-growing Jesus. I raised my hand one time or asked him in a life guy. They're right here. Then this guy, he's moving up the food chain because he really wants to know God and God will reveal himself to the person who wants to know him. That's a promise. But these two people, it's all about who? Who's that all about? It's about them, right? It's about them. It's really selfish self-absorbed Christianity. Lord, fill me. Lord, teach me. Lord, be with me. Lord, answer my needs. Lord, answer my prayer record. Lord, Lord, me, 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 me. This guy has an awake up. He realizes the Bible says it ain't about you. It's about me and others. It's about me and others. It's not about you. I fill you so you give your life away. I don't fill you so you get full. I get fill you so you get empty, so I can refill you to get empty, so I can refill you to get empty. That's how you get alive. That's why if you feel like life isn't that great right now, and I don't know if Christianity is that big a deal, and I just feel like I don't have much joy or hope, it's because you aren't obeying. Because he's the well that'll never run dry, the fountain of life, and if you empty yourself, he'll refill you, and then you'll be alive. See a Galilee. Dead Sea. Jordan River in Israel runs into the Sea of Galilee, runs out of the Sea of Galilee, runs into the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River dies in the Dead Sea. You know how many fish live in the Sea of Galilee? A lot. It's fed people as long as that sea has been in Israel. It's fed people to this day. Do you know how many fish there are in the Dead Sea? None. Because it's dead. Do you know why it's dead? Because the Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee and runs out. It fills and empties, fills and empties, fills and empties. Do you know why the Sea of Galilee is dead? Excuse me, why the Dead Sea is dead? Because the Jordan River, with life, runs into it. Nothing comes out of that Dead Sea. And so everything in it is dead. And a Jesus follower who doesn't empty himself 
for the sake of the kingdom to others dies even though he's alive. And if you're wondering why life isn't full and rich and fulfilling and maximal, it's because maybe there's nothing coming out at the end of your life that will fill you so that you look at this life different than you may be looking at it right now. If you don't give yourself away, you're going to think you're alive and I'll see that you're moving around physically, but you're going to function like a dead sea. Then the fourth knuckle, this person then that normally people bounce back and forth here. Oh Lord, I want my will, but your will be done. Oh Lord, I want my will, I want my will. No, no Lord, your will be done, your will be done. So we go bouncing back and forth here because we think it's, it's still about me. It's not about you. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. Unless a human being dies to himself, dies to his dreams, dies to his wishes, that just means this. Lord, this is my dream, that's good. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's what dying to your dream is. Lord, this is my dream. I wanted to be a college football coach. I wanted to be a head college football coach. I wanted to be a professional player or a professional college. That's what I wanted. But I had to keep putting those dreams on the altar and say, but if you have a better plan for you, I want that. I want your will. I want to play, but if you don't want me to play, I want your will. I want to have a family, but if you don't want me, I want your will. That's this guy here. Ooh, that's tough because it'll kill you. And the next knuckle is when you have a vision for the stuff I'm talking about you realize it's about others and you begin to give your life away and people who you love start giving their life away and then you see what John did in chapter and verse 3 of 3rd John 4 do you know what he said 3rd John 4 he said Paul Paul uh, John talking now true story find it in the Bible 3rd John 4 I have no greater joy than seeing my children walking in the faith that's the, that's the apex of this planet. On this planet, you will have no greater joy than if your children, both your physical children, Taylor Reed Riley, I'll have no greater joy than if my three children walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce, and multiply, and my spiritual children, if they walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce, and multiply, that will bring me that sensation, that feeling, that thought, that heart want to weep for gratefulness that God gave me a chance to love some people who are following him and giving their life away. And there's nothing that makes me happier in the whole planet. Money doesn't matter. Things don't matter. Rings don't matter. Nothing matters. But having children to walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce, and multiply. And it's all here for the taken, man. And every other track that we go on to think we're going to feel great will fall short. And it'll be super sad if you die physically not experiencing that. Doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. It does mean you won't taste of that glory that He wanted for you on this planet. He wanted for you, provided for you, gave you everything you need for it, gave you some human examples of it, asked you to do it. Yeah, Father... Thank you for these kids. Thank you for these kids. Thank you for these kids. Thank you that they paid attention. Thank you to listen. Father, in Jesus' name, open their eyes. Open their ears to the good news. You are enough. You are enough. They don't need things beside you. They don't need stuff. They need you. They need you. They need you. God, open their eyes in Jesus' name. Open their eyes in Jesus' name and their ears to hear your call. You're calling them and you're inviting them. You're inviting them into this life 
this life that's better than they could ever imagine on this planet, not even counting heaven. I'm asking in Jesus' name that the seed of the Word of God would bear fruit, protected by the power of the name. Give them thoughts and dreams. Grab their heart. Move them to pursue you and to find out your mission and to do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.